Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, today I'm going to talk about the men in black again. Uh, I know I've been bringing it up recently and uh, I'm really fascinated with this whole subject right now. Uh, it's one of those facets of the entire UFO extraterrestrial mystery that uh, has it's a, it's on its own little island in a way. Uh, it's it's something that uh, it's frightening, it's interesting, it's fascinating. There's a whole bunch of different words you could come up with to, to try to describe it. Uh, but uh, starting off, I want to talk about, uh, there's somebody who's been following me for probably about two years now. Uh, this person is uh, pretty vocal about this subject, about UFOs, about the cover-up. Uh, this person has, him and his wife have had experiences uh, with extraterrestrials, with flying saucers, uh, and also men in black instant, uh, uh, incidents. Now, this person doesn't want to uh, have his name put out for this uh, but uh, he sent me quite a few messages recently and he's talking about uh, for instance uh, he had uh, he had his own personal men in black uh, episodes in recent years um, and uh, in one in one uh, instance he was being followed by a, a what he thought was a black escalade it had tinted windows uh, and this is because he and he thinks that this is all part of uh, because he's he's very vocal online on places like Twitter and, and elsewhere, uh, and he thinks that he's being targeted by somebody, and he's not sure really what they are. He thinks his opinion is is that they are extraterrestrial. Uh, but anyway, he was at one point uh, in recent years he was basically uh, followed uh, by by he thinks it was men in black in a, in a in a black car he couldn't see he couldn't tell what it was he thinks it was an escalate he couldn't he couldn't see any kind of logo on it that would uh, tell you what it was uh he said he looked away from this car while he was on the highway for about one second and the next thing next thing he knew it wasn't there anymore uh he says he can't he doesn't want to even talk about these kind of stories to the uh, average people because he's afraid that even people in the ufo community won't believe him uh, but it's not just him. It's not, you know, he's had experiences. His wife has had experiences. And in another episode, I mean, he's been hacked online in, in very mysterious ways that don't make any sense. Uh, but uh, from the things that he tells me, it's it's very convincing. And I, I believe this person. Uh, uh, again, I've been in contact with this person online uh, since I started doing the podcast, I would have to say, probably uh, around two years and uh, I, I don't think he would steer me wrong on something like this. In fact, he doesn't, he wanted, he doesn't want to talk about it publicly because it scares the hell out of him. And uh, he thinks when you talk about men in black it, it draw, it's a, or, or, or certain things with relation to the extraterrestrial phenomenon, it draws the men in black to you. And he thinks that they are extraterrestrial and that they, uh, they, they, uh, they want to prevent the reality of the situation to reach the general public for whatever reason and that they are in control behind the scenes as, as i've been saying he he's been watching some of my recent podcasts and and that's it, it prompted him to contact me to let me know that he thinks i'm on the right track talking about the, uh, this subject the way uh, that i am I, I i've been putting forward different theories recently but the the one i'm starting to think uh, that explains some of these men in black in, uh, encounters is that these there, there there are beings here uh, that maybe have infiltrated uh, portions of different government segments of our uh, of some world governments, and are basically controlling the UFO narrative from behind the scenes. 
and uh, when certain certain encounters, when people have certain encounters with other extra, per, uh, potentially different extraterrestrials and the ones that have, uh, have have apparently put a flag on this planet and are claiming it as their own, then uh, then they these the they're sent out to question these people who experience the encounters with a certain UFO UFOs or. Uh, extraterrestrial beings and they want to get more more uh, information about them because they're wondering what because they they've already considered this planet theirs and they don't want any other uh, uh beings coming here and thinking it's going to be theirs and that's why they go out and do this and then they scare people into uh, they scare the uh, the witnesses into silence because they don't want uh, people to talk about this publicly. It, it it seems like it could be the case. I mean, if you look at the history of it, there there really is. Uh, it, it seems like that could be what's going on here. Now, sometimes I think it could be government agents. I mean, it depends on the situation. Uh, but there are some where it's just beyond. It's just so far far fetched but at the same time the, the witnesses themselves are very credible and a lot of times it involves more than one witness it involves entire families uh, for instance there was a story here I've been reading uh, rereading and reading reading again uh, a book from uh, UFO researcher Jenny Randall she's done a lot of good work in this field over over a long over a long period of time and uh, this book here the truth behind men in black is a really really good one and she talks, there's a, uh, multiple stories in here uh, about men in black encounters, and I highly recommend this book. But uh, in one of the cases early on that she discusses, uh, there's uh, a woman, which was a 17-year-old girl actually named uh, Shirley Greenfield, and that, that was a pseudonym, uh, who back in uh, 1975, uh, she, she had an encounter with, excuse me, 1976, in, in January of 1976, she had an encounter with, uh, an up-close encounter with a UFO, had some lost time, and then a men in black experience, and it was an extremely frightening story. Uh, but anyway, this uh, Shirley Greenfield, again, that's not her real name, but for, for the purposes of, of this uh, report, just, she didn't want to use her real name, just like the person I'm talking about here earlier doesn't want to use, they don't want to use their real name because this is something that, uh, well, you know, of course, the, the stigma that's associated with this, people think other people are crazy if they talk it like this, but I don't think that they are. I think that these things really happen. And in the case of this Shirley Greenfield uh, from 1976, it's... It's an incredible story. I believed every word of, of this of this report. And basically, she was a 17-year-old girl. She was working at as, as a secretary uh, at this time, and she was uh, she just finished her 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 job, and she was uh, she got a bus ride home, and she got out of the bus, and she had a a little short distance to walk to her house, and the street that she was on was completely there was nobody there. It was completely empty, and she saw these weird lights in the sky. And then the lights were doing strange maneuvers, and then all of a sudden swooped. It was like it was, it was as though the lights noticed that she was walking down the street, and then swooped down toward her. And she saw that it was some sort of a craft, a circular saucer-like craft, and it was hovering just right above her head. And if she felt like she was there was uh, this object, whatever it was, was putting some sort of a pressure down onto her. She was she was basically on the ground. She tried to put her umbrella. She had an umbrella in her in her hand, and she tried to put it up to try to prevent this saucer from uh you know to try to prevent this pressure from from continuing she wanted to stop the pressure and so 
she finally the next she lost some like she doesn't know what happened next she just remembers the next thing she really knew she was trying to escape from this thing and she burst into her house crying to her mother about what just happened when the mother looked outside she didn't see anything uh and then what they noticed after this is that there was some time lost that she basically lost about a half hour's worth of time but anyway, the mother thought something horrible happened, like some, like a like a rape or something like that. She didn't know what just happened to her daughter, so she contacted the police, and the police showed up. And the police, uh, according to the mother, Mrs. Greenfield, again a pseudonym, uh, the mother didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, she, she the mother knew knew her daughter, knew that she wouldn't be acting like this unless something really did happen to her. And the police, they didn't, they seemed like, well, this is just some. Uh, a teenager who's uh, uh, making a scene over nothing, uh, just looking for attention, things like that. That's how the police seemed to to respond to this uh, report that the family gave that night. Well, uh, anyway, after this incident, uh, the, a couple of days later, there were three other girls that had an experience, saw a UFO, but it wasn't as uh, nearly as dramatic as what Shirley Greenfield had experienced. And so they... Uh, but but the local newspaper had caught wind of not only the three girls' uh, sighting of a UFO, but also Shirley Greenfield's uh, police report. So they contacted Shirley Greenfield, and they wanted her to talk about it, but she really didn't want anything to do with it. She just wanted this whole thing to go away. She didn't want to talk about it, but it was too late. It was already in the newspapers and, 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 that, and whatnot. Uh, and then... Uh, a local TV station. Of course, this is, I just want to point out too, I don't think I said where this was. This was, uh, this happened in uh, Lancashire, uh, uh, Bolton, Lancashire, of course, in the United Kingdom. I just want to, I forgot to mention that, sorry. Uh, But anyway, so, so basically a TV station contacted Shirley Greenfield asking her along with these other girls to go on. But Shirley didn't, again, she didn't want anything to do with this. But some strange things start happening to Shirley after this encounter. Like she stated, she didn't want to, she didn't want any money for it, even though the TV station had offered her money. So she, she did not want to talk to anybody about this. But some, some strange things started happening to her. For instance, the fillings in her teeth, like somehow were vibrated out of her head. They were turned into like a powder. Uh, the dentist couldn't explain it. She had, went to the dentist. Another thing that was wrong was she had some burn mark, a burn mark on her arm and her side, and then a, a rash had developed on her. There was a lot of physical problems that she developed after this incident happened. Uh, so she eventually uh, she was contacted by because of the story that was in the paper. She was contacted by a, a gentleman. Uh, uh, let me find this, uh, dig up his name here. Uh, it was Arthur Tomlinson. He was part of a uh, a UFO group named the uh, DIGAP, uh, Direct Action Group into Aerial Phenomena, right? Uh, and so this guy wanted some information about, you know, he wanted to, you know, do a report on this for this for this UFO group, and uh, uh, she she did talk she she talked to him uh, uh, and but then not long after she talked to this guy she was con- they were contacted the fa- her she was contacted by uh somebody that said that they wanted to uh, meet with her and uh this is what this is the part of the story where the men in black come in and it's really really strange Anyway, it says here, uh, here's directly from the book, it says the, the one section here uh, on page 15, it says the commander calls. It says on Monday, February 2nd, 1976, nine days after Shirley's encounter, Mrs. Greenfield took a call just before her daughter came home from work. Uh, 
a man who would only identify himself as someone who investigates these these things posed questions about the girl's state of health specifically he wanted to know if any marks had been left on her body mrs greenfield fobbed him off now that's interesting now how did this guy know that shirley greenfield had marks on her body she did not share this information with anybody not even with the ufo organization uh, and then it goes on and says, <clears throat> she initially and reasonably assumed that this was someone from Arthur Tomlinson's UFO group because Arthur had visited only a few days before. It was not. Indeed, the man en enigmatically refused to say how he had got hold of the family address and phone number. In any case, why ask about the medical problems that Shirley did not want to discuss? How could he know of these? Because, yeah, she didn't tell anybody. She didn't tell anybody outside of the family. So how how, how did this, this person calling up the mother know that she might be having problems like this, physical uh, problems. It says here, at 7 p.m. the following night, the weather was atrocious with a major downpour. Shirley was upstairs unwinding after work. Her medical condition was improving, and she was putting the whole episode behind her at last. Then there was a knock at the door. Two men stood there. They said that they had come to interrogate Shirley. Mr. Greenfield, who answered the door, suffered no fools gladly. When when they denied being from a UFO group, he assumed they must be journalists, but they refuted that possibility as well without adding where they were actually from. By now, Mr. Greenfield was determined not to let them in and told them firmly that his daughter had no interest in discussing the matter further. Only one of the two men was doing all the talking, and uh, he responded quite sternly to this rebuff. If you do not let us in now, we will come back later and make Shirley speak to us. The threat was not uttered lightly. It seemed very believable. Shirley had overheard the conversation from the top of the stairs and shouted down that she would speak to them. She told me later that she, actually Jenny Randalls in, uh, did in, uh, talk to Shirley later about this, uh, actually in 1984. Uh, anyway, it says there, she told me later that this was definitely against her better judgment and she is unsure why she did it. Her father was even more baffled. He said, he, he said to me that he could not understand why he let those men into his house given their attitude of intimidation toward his daughter. But things were to were to get a lot stranger very quickly after they stepped through the door. Both men were aged about 40 and wore smart black suits. They had a definite air of power and authority about them, clearly convinced that they had a right to do and say whatever they chose, but they were also rather eccentric in behavior and appearance. The one who did all the talking was tall and fair, almost blonde. He never referred to himself or his colleague by name. Instead, he simply used the term commander to uh, introduce himself and created the impression that he was from the Royal Air Force. If so, commander is an in inappropriate title. Wing commander would be correct, but commander is a naval uh, rank. There is a curious disagreement between Shirley and her parents with regard to the physical appearance of the commander. She says that he had only one arm, a feature that would assume one would assume was noteworthy. Indeed, she says that he described losing the appendage during an aircraft accident. But Shirley's parents, Shirley, excuse me, but Shirley's parents were less certain. It was the only serious discrepancy in the account of this visit, and they did not try to hide it. Indeed, their bafflement was quite evident during our initial discussions. So this is really weird. So she's thinking, she's here. She, Shirley thought that this guy had one arm, and the guy said to her that, yeah, I lost it, you know, in a battle, and the parents have no recollection of this at all. Very strange. 
And it gets a lot stranger. Anyway, it says, all three witnesses recall how the commander ad- <clears throat> admired an image of Sir Winston Churchill that the Greenfields had in the living room. He made a point of explaining that he had attended the former prime minister's funeral 10 years earlier. Whilst this was occurring, the other man sat on a chair holding a square-shaped black box. Now, what the hell was in that little black box? Anyway. It was said to be a sophisticated tape recorder, but had no visible moving parts. Although he sat on the opposite side of the room from Shirley, no microphone was used to record her voice. Also, the interrogation lasted until 10 p.m., but at no point was the box open to change a tape. Now, of course, in these days, of course, we, we could sit here and record, you know, for as long as you want, pretty much, uh, with uh, phones or whatever. But back then, you 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 had you didn't have that much time on a tape recorder. This was this this interrogation went on for, you know for hours. Anyway, continuing, it says uh, there was little time for the Greenfields to think about the absurdity of such matters. For during the whole evening, the commander was fiercely grilling the teenager in a style that would have done the SS proud. He had her go through every tiny detail of her story repeatedly in precise fashion and was unwilling to accept any hint of uncertainty or vagueness in reply. Indeed, several times he jumped on minor changes in words used by the witness as if it were evidence of a hoax, accusing her of fraud. He was rude to the point of aggression. Several times during this grueling session, the family had attempted to find out who these men were, but they refused to budge. They admitted that they knew Arthur's group, Die Gap, and called them meddlers. In fact, they seemed disrespectful of UFO investigators in general. Mr. Greenfield said to me with a glazed expression conveying much, even though it was a now eight years since the visit, you know, I have never been able to understand why I did not throw them out. Why I let them hound Shirley for hour after hour, I would normally not tolerate something like this. But why, but why did I let them do this thing? And then it continues here. It says, after Shirley had related her story, without reference to either the time lapse or the physical after effects, the commander suddenly announced, this is what you saw. It had been a weather balloon launched by a a Royal Air Force station. Shirley told him that that idea was ridiculous, so he changed the explanation to an experimental military craft, a theory to which Shirley gave only slightly more credence. He practically beat her into an acceptance of this explanation, but she would not agree to it. At this point, the conversation took off in new directions. The commander began to ask things that seemed baffling to Shirley. He was even insistent that she must have had physical illness and marks on her body body following the encounter. He seemed unable to accept the girl's insistence that she had not and then demanded to see her arms. Understandably, she declined. So let me just stop there for a second. So (laughs) this guy who she didn't tell anybody about this outside of the family that she had these marks on her from the experience. He's asking to see her arms. Like, how did they, how do these people know this stuff? Anyway, Shirley told me that she deliberately lied to him about the, this point of her story. It was the only untruthful thing I said to those men all night, but I was not going to talk about those marks. Other questions that were, posed included whether she had seen anyone inside the object. When Shirley truthfully said no, the question was extended to any moving objects or parts inside it. More perplexing was a series of questions about psychic phenomena. Could Shirley read minds? Did she have dreams about something before it happened? 
Could she move objects through mental effort alone? To all of these things, Shirley said no. In fact, during childhood, she had indeed experienced many vivid dreams, including what we might well term out-of-body experiences. In other instances, she believed that she had consciously levitated, literally floated down the stairs. Shirley had not only one witness, but two. Her sister and her mother had allegedly seen her levitate down the stairs and confirmed this story from memory later. Whilst it proves nothing, of course, it raises the matter beyond the level of a single person's account. When Shirley told me this, I was stunned, but let the fantastic claim wash over me. I was aware that close encounter witnesses and abductees often did profess a strong track record or other paranormal happenings within their lives, particularly in early childhood. It was to me a vital clue to what was going on. The UFO or alien contact was not an isolated experience. Most of the time it was part of a lifelong continuum of incredible incidents from poltergeist outbreaks to apparitions. The sophisticated nature of the questions asked during the visit by these two men was what was really perturbing me. Why had they asked about so many obscure things? Even in 1997, well, that's when this book came out in the late 90s, uh, most researchers into alien abductions would think you were wasting your time if you grilled the witness about whether they had uh, floated in the air as a child. Whoever these visitors were at the Greenfield Greenfield House that February night, they were doing their job in a way that was unlike how a UFO group would have handled matters back then. Who were they? At the end of the of a long night, the commander conveyed a stern warning to Shirley. You must not talk about this matter. It is in your interest not to do so. Nobody will believe you in any case. In particular, you must not talk to UFO investigators. Isn't that interesting? These men in black, they don't like UFO investigators for whatever reason. Shirley took the warning seriously. It, it fitted her, it in with her own desire to forget the entire experience. In fact, it would be several years before she came round to thinking that nobody had the right to order her about like this, and her uh, natural assert assertiveness won the day. When the two men left, they got into a large black car, of course, right, that was parked outside. The make was not noticed in the, sh in, the, in the rainy night, but it could have been a Mercedes or a Jaguar. Mrs. Greenfield could not get over how the man who had not spoken all night had stared intently at her daughter throughout the evening. He gave me the creep, she told me. He was just watching Shirley all of the time. Only when the family talked about the events of that evening in the cold light of day did they begin to realize the peculiarity and the, and the stunning way in which they had accepted it all so meekly. The next day, the commander phoned again and Mrs. Greenfield answered. He asked her to relay a question to uh, Shirley, which she did. Was Shirley certain that she had no marks on her body? The teenager denied it yet again. About a week later, he called one more time and asked exactly the same thing. This time, so this, they call, keep calling back, asking if she had any marks on the body. This is unbelievably strange. It makes, it's, I, I don't even know, it's, how, how do you wrap your hand around this? It says here, this time Shirley took the phone and determined to end things once and for all. Her marks were now practically gone, so she told him that yes, she did have a rash and other problems, but these had cleared up now. The commander seemed relieved by this news and thanked her for the information. Then he hung up. The Greenfields never heard from him again. Uh, now, I just want to point out that uh, years later, like when Shirley wanted to, when she actually talked with Jenny Randalls about this, 
she got she had some hypnotic regressions and she remembered the what happened with the lost time with the ufo and she remembered that there was some uh, like a six foot female like being with ver with white hair that was doing something to her right on the ship so she remembered that part and she, she was talking about that on the regression but when it brought up the men in black situation she she became terrified and during the first uh, regression she became terrified and they had to end the uh, uh the session uh it says here during her uh, uh it says here however during the first regressive experiment uh it uh, it was decided to try a unique experiment shirley would be asked to relive the visit by the two men in addition to her ufo encounter this proved a horrific ordeal whilst her abduction was stressful to describe she reacted in absolute terror to the recounting of the visit by the two men in black indeed dr keller uh, who was doing the person doing the uh uh, regression quickly stopped the experiment because he was monitoring her vital signs such as pulse rate and heartbeat and these began to climb to dangerous levels so when she was recalling this all of her sipped all of her uh, her heartbeat everything was was out of control and it says here even so surely surprised us by stating to stating of the commander i don't understand he's talking to me twice it seems that during the visit a message was acting on her subconscious mind like a subliminal communication the man was somehow inter interrogating her on two different levels was this a kind of hypnotic suggestion and is this why the family submitted themselves to hour after hour of interrogation with without batting an eyelid well uh it's unbelievable it's incredible so she felt like she was she was she was being questioned audibly verb you know she could hear them talking this guy talking with the commander and, and but when she was uh, had the hypnotic regression she felt like she was receiving other questions subliminally somehow apparently and then there was a final warning that she received but not a call from the commander but somebody else it says after the hypnosis sessions had concluded in 1984 shirley got a telephone call at home it was not the commander she did not recognize the male voice although very few people were yet aware of the experiment this caller told shirley shirley that he knew all about uh, its outcome he warned that she should not cooperate with the ufo organization that uh, jenny Reynolds was part of at the time mufora with the Mufora team and agreed to meet with him if she wanted to learn the truth. He would not name himself and never called back. She refused to cooperate with this threat. A week later, Shirley received another mystifying call. This was to invite her to a Manchester City Center hotel so that she could be vetted for a plush job. The job uh, paid well, but she would uh, but would involve her moving immediately to Zimbabwe. According to the caller, she had applied for the post. Shirley had done no such thing and so did not attend the interview. She had no idea how the offer came about. In view of all these, and here's what Jenny Randalls uh, says here, says, in view of all these things, it is little wonder that when a wave of unsought media pressure came through an unannounced radio ad not long afterwards this served as the final straw and shirley decided to give up talking about her experience altogether she headed off for a quiet life away from her former home and the intimidating tactics of these mystery men uh and then actually jenny randall's provides an assessment of all of this it says she said it's very difficult uh, for there are two types of evidence the verifiable data from fully conscious recall and the material that emerges under regressive regression hypnosis which is almost impossible to validate the two cannot be considered of equal validity 
that Shirley Greenfield saw something strange in the sky and that it left serious physical after effects on her body seems to me completely inescapable. The physical symptoms are not unlike mild, mild radiation exposure and have not been re, uh, uh, recounted by witnesses and have been recounted by witnesses in many other close encounter cases from around the world. I am reasonably certain that Shirley was not familiar with these facts in 1976. The dental problems are also significant. Something caused those fillings to fall out. Was it an ultrasonic sound emerging from the UFO? Does this also explain her nausea? Yeah, she also had nausea from uh, one of the effects, one of the health, one of the health issues. The image of a tall, blonde-haired being performing medical tests is extraordinarily consistent within European UFO events. In 1984, what, pu what publicity there had been surrounded American cases in which the entities are quite different, short and squat with big black eyes. I'm going to stop there for a second. It is interesting that in, in a lot of the European cases, uh, not all of them, but in a lot of them, there was different kinds of beings, like more human-looking kind of beings with blonde hair, Nordics. Uh, but in the American cases, it seems like there's these shorter beings, the greys. Uh, I wonder what's going on with that. Anyway, uh, Shirley cannot have known that European witnesses tend to describe tall, tall blonde beings just as, as she had. Other consistent features occur in Shirley's account, such as the use of telepathy to communicate and the implementation of tasks to the uh, to be unleashed at some future point as part of a grand plan. That was something else. Like there was something that happened during this abduction where uh, there was some telepathy going on that uh, she was being told something of something that she's going to be part of later on. We've heard this before in other abduction cases, especially if you read books by David M. Jacobs and the threat people are giving. Uh, they're they're going to be part of something at some point later on when the change happens. So that's not something old, something new, actually. Uh, it is hard to know why people uh, fantasizing under regression would would plump for this same storyline. Yeah, why would they? A lot of a lot of people who encounter these things, they don't have they don't have. It's not like they a lot of them never even believed this could be possible, and then all of a sudden they never read a book about it. For instance, a lot of people, and then they're all telling us the the, uh, the same story when they're hypnotized. So it's, it's I, that's why I think that that's that, that it's real. I, I believe that people are. There's no question in my mind. People are getting abducted. There was an alien being in my room, so I know. I I know. For, I don't know if I was abducted or not, but I know that there was an alien being in my room when I was a kid one time. Uh, anyway, it says here, however, the question of alien abduction is a very complex one beyond the scope of this book. Many psychologists, psychiatrists, and sociologists have studied it since 1984, and their arguments are volumin voluminously documented elsewhere. They involve the study of various possible theories ranging from stimulation of the brain's temporal lobe by an atmospheric energy to individuals with unusually vivid imaging capabilities we should explore all options but research has proved one thing very clearly that the vast majority of abduct of abductees are not pathologically ill or making up stories whatever these encounters may be the witnesses believe implicitly in what they say and then jenny randall's wraps it up about the men in black uh, what about them uh, this does not rely on hypnosis nor does it uh, nor is it down to Shirley's memory alone. We have no reason to conclude other than it, than that it really did take place. But I guess the question is, where who are these guys? Who are they? And I think this is a case where it seems to me that these these guys were extraterrestrial. How did they know? So how could they have known so much? I mean, we're talking 1976. 
I mean, how did they know all these things? How did she? How? Why were they asking her questions about the rashes? They kept calling her up about the uh, the marks. Uh, why did they? Why were they? Why? Why were they asking all these weird questions about things that happened before? What was the one guy doing, just sitting there, not saying anything, holding a black box? This doesn't seem to me like uh, this would be normal people, and I, government people wouldn't be acting like this. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I think these are extraterrestrials, and this is a, a clear case of that, as far as I'm concerned, uh, of of some sort of non uh, uh, human intelligent creature creatures uh, that's what i think it is that's my opinion because uh, i know that they're here and and there's so many stories that are like this i mean this is a great book i mean there's a lot of books about men in black and this is one of the good ones i, I highly recommend it the truth behind men in black by jenny Reynolds. and there's a lot of other stories in it uh uh about men in black you, you'll, you'll find it fascinating if you ever get a chance to to read it i'm sure some of you probably have yeah, uh, but like I said, this other when getting back to the person I've been talking to recently, who believes that uh, that these uh, that these people, that these beings, that, that, that they'll uh, if you're talking about them a lot, you might draw them to you. Well, I'm talking about them right now. You know what? I don't care. I hope they do because you know what? I'll break out my phone. We'll record the whole damn thing. Well, we'll get you. We'll find out what you're all about. So come on. I hope you do. I hope they do. Anyway. Continuing here, I just want to go to, uh, I want to talk about something that uh, is really fascinating. You know, uh, it's about, <laughs> uh, the other day, my, my most recent podcast, by the way, Powerful Telescope Identifies Potential Life Harboring, Harboring Planet. I want to talk about uh, one of the responses I've received on Spotify uh, regards to that. But before I do, I just want to point out now, just so everyone knows, uh, I haven't had a lot of episodes in the past five, six days here because I'm in the process of moving, so it's been very difficult for me. So if you're wondering what's going on here, because I try, I, I really want to do an episode a day, every single day. If I could, I would. Uh, I'd like to have one seven days a week, but I, at least five times a week. But unfortunately, because I'm in the process of moving, uh, I've been spending a lot of time getting my old house ready because it's it's in the process of, it's selling it's, I'm, uh it's i've signed a contract and all that kind of stuff so it's it's been a it's been a very difficult to, uh for me to last uh week or so is particularly so just if you're wondering why what's going on that's just want to let you know but anyway powerful telescope identifies potential life harboring planet for that episode uh, you know, I asked the question, what did you think of this episode? And uh, I want to point out, uh, Levi Johnson point, pointed out that uh, uh, that there are one septillion stars in the universe. Uh, and uh, surely one, uh, tr at least one, tr one trillion of those have Goldilocks planets. Well, Goldilocks planet would be like Earth. And he, basically what he's talking about, because in that same for that same episode, I asked this question uh, uh, in a poll. If you, were take, if you were to take a guess, how many of the planets in the universe besides earth harbor intelligent life uh and so far there's uh, been 102 votes and uh, let's go through them here uh three people or 2.9 percent say zero and another three people or 2.9 percent say hundreds four or 3.9 3.9 percent say less than 100 uh, fifth, uh 14 people or 13.7 percent say millions 15 people or 14.7 percent say thousands 23 people or 22.5 percent say billions and 40 people or 39.2 percent say trillions or more and yeah i believe i go with the majority on this one for sure trillions or more because when you really think about it like uh like that question like uh levi says here 
uh, yeah, he points out that it's uh, 10 to 20, uh, basically, uh, it's what it is, it's it's a one with 24 zeros after it. That's, that's what one septillion stars is. So that's how many stars are in the universe. And he points out, Levi Johnson points out that surely a trillion of those would have Goldilocks planets. And I totally agree with that. And basically, if you want to know, uh, let's take it a step further here. There, there are so, over, just keep this in mind. This is how crazy this is. Now think about this. There are over 700 quintillion planets in the universe. A quintillion. You know what a quintillion is? That's uh, uh, that's that's a million trillion. So over 700 quintillion planets in the universe. So one quintillion is a million trillion. I it's I can't even wrap my head around that. I can't even. I don't even know where to begin with it. How do you? I, I don't know. I, it's 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 one thing trying to calculate it in your brain to try to do the math, let alone try to comprehend it. I have trouble comprehending uh, when you think what seven hundred quintillion over seven hundred quintillion planets in the universe, and one quintillion equals a million trillions. That's that's absurd. That's absurd. You know, you know. You think about debunkers, the minds of a the mind of a debunker, right? You think about it. Okay. Uh, how could they not? Ex- how could they not accept this? I mean, uh, you know, most of bunkers they don't even believe in God. So a lot of them they're not religious, right? And that's I'm not saying that as you know, some people believe in God, some people don't, but they don't even believe in God. Most of them they don't believe in God. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. That's a, I'm not criticizing anybody, but they don't. But at the same time, they don't believe in anything. They don't believe that when you look at these numbers. Right? How could you? How can you de- de- deny? It? How could you possibly deny that there's, for certain, there's there's no question. They'll, they'll they'll agree that oh there has to be life out there, but they have to. When you look at these numbers, there's most certainly intelligent other intelligent life out there that's more advanced than us, and obviously that explains what's been going on here. Because this this is to me this is absolutely mind boggling. It's hard. Like I said, I can't even comprehend. It's hard to comprehend seven over seven hundred quintillion planets in the universe. Over seven hundred quintillion, and one quintillion equals a million trillion. Oh wow, wow! My my head feels like gonna, like it's gonna explode right now. That's an amazing number. It's a lot to think about, uh, but I think uh, you know. Just by looking at those numbers alone, I mean, it, it shows you that they're, you know, that, that explains it. That's what's going on here. There's all kinds of different things coming here, coming and going. There's some things that are staying, some things that want to stay, probably some things that want to kick us out of here and take over. Uh, who knows? Maybe there's some things that want to kick them out and, and protect us. Who knows what the hell's going on out there? Uh, it's crazy. It's really crazy. It's mind bending. Yeah. Weird. Wild. Anyway, I want to say, hey, thank you everyone for joining me again. Until next time.